All right. Well, Pastor asked me to do this uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm thankful for the privilege of doing it. But I'm used to preaching now to the junior church where we play games, we take prayer requests, we pray, and I preach for about 10 minutes. And I'm asked to do a Sunday school lesson for 45 minutes, 50 minutes, so we'll see how it goes, was my thought. And I said, what can I teach on? And the book that's been really dear to my heart is the book of Jude. I said, hmm, I bet I can get a couple things out of there to teach for 45 minutes and 18 pages later I think we have enough material for 45 minutes um pastor texted me this morning he said praying for you hope you're doing hope you're ready blah 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 I wrote him back and said was that today (laughs) he sent me back a smiley face and I said yeah I'm just trying to figure out how to get 18 pages into 45 minutes so if you want, we could, t- we could turn to the book of Jude. This was an epistle as a passionate plea for the readers to contend for their faith in light of a growing heresy in the church that understood grace as a license for immortality. Jude wrote to an unidentified group of Christ's followers to call them back to faith. I think what we'll do is we'll just read the book real quick and then I'll just start with the notes that I have and we'll see how far we get. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men, crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities above them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. But these speak evil of those things which they knew not, but they or but what they know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, 
and ran greedily after the Arabalum for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charities when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit wherewith, without, wither, sorry, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's person and admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own godly, ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. And Lord, I just pray that you be with the lesson today, Lord. I pray you'd have complete control in this room, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, Lord. Say the things that need to be said, Father, Lord. Don't let me speak through the flesh and say things that don't need to be said, Father, Lord. I just pray your Holy Spirit would meet with us today, Father, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So verse 1, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. He starts out by saying, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. He says what he was. He doesn't say who he was. He had every authority to start out this epistle by saying, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And I started thinking, I was like, that's interesting. Why, why would he do that? And I thought, it doesn't really matter who we are until people know I have a heart to serve. They're not going to care who we are anyways. So, so I would say Jude wanted people to know, hey, I'm here with you. I'm serving with you. I might not be there with you in person, but I'm serving. And I started thinking, I was like, you know, we could be of best service by praying for our preacher every week, by praying for this church every week, the ministries of this church. I started thinking, well, I love serving in the junior church. 
but me and Brandy never had any kids. So last week when we, or two weeks ago when we hit that 25 mark, my face was just, how do I teach this many kids? I, I, I'm not used to being around kids. So you could serve that junior church class by praying for me, by praying for the kids that are in that class. Some of you have kids in that class, and I would hope that you're praying for your kids and that you're praying for the other kids in there. And then I also thought, who is it that we're serving? This says, a servant of Jesus Christ. Everything we do should be unto Jesus. We, some people get this idea of, I'm serving in this ministry. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm doing this. It never should be about us. It should always be about Jesus. So the springboard into the whole book, under the whole epistle starts right there by him saying, I'm a servant. That's the heart that all of us should have. We all should have a heart of service. And then he goes into saying who the book's written to. To them that are sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. Who's the book written to? He says that it's written to those that are sanctified or set apart for service to God. But not only those that are in service, but he goes on to say those that are preserved. Did you know the day that you get saved, God preserves you? There's nothing you can do to lose that salvation. Yes, you can fall away. You can go away from the Lord, but it doesn't take away your salvation. Jesus We've heard it said many times, Jesus died on the cross one time, and that's only time. That's how many times we've got to accept Jesus. So basically, if you're saved and have a service or think someday you would want to be in service for the king, then let's hear what the rest of the epistle says. Jude gives his well wishes in verse 2. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. He gives them a wish of mercy. And so I looked at that word mercy and said, and I went to Hebrews 4, 16, and it says, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. By that verse, we can see that mercy ain't hard to obtain. There's some things in this life that are hard to obtain. Mercy is not one of them. The Lord, the Lord says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. All you got to do to obtain mercy is be willing to go into the throne of grace. You got to be willing to cast yourself at God's throne. And it says, you may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 talks about how mercy is our protection. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. How often do we have this protection? It says they're new every morning. We just don't get refreshed on Sundays and Wednesday nights when we come to church. But it says every morning he refreshes his protection over us. He, sir, he wants to protect us. 
But not only is it easy to obtain, it's our protection. It allow, mercy is what actually allows us to serve God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transferred by, transformed excuse me, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then the other thing I thought about in mercy is we must obtain mercy in order to show mercy. As Christians, we should strive to show others mercy. It was given to us when Christ went to the cross and it's commanded of us in Luke 6, 36. It says, be ye therefore merciful as your father is merciful. Jude was wishing that mercy he knew they could obtain because he knew it was God only that they weren't it was by God only that they weren't consumed. He also knew with mercy came service, and through service we should be showing others mercy. The second thing he wishes them is peace. And I thought about this. We live in a day right now where I'm not going to try to get political, but everything is this side or that side. There's no middle ground, and there shouldn't be as Christians. We should stand for what's right. But at the same time, we should be preaching peace. John 16, 33, God is our source of peace. These things, I have, God says, are these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world... Ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcame the world. Second thing, not only is God our source of peace because he's overcame the world, peace will only come when our mind is stayed upon God. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. If you're trusting in God today, you should have peace in your life. You shouldn't let what's going on in this world and how they're trying to tell us what we should do and not do. We need to have our mind stayed on God, not on this world. I was thinking of, I don't have it written down, so I don't have the reference, but I know the book of Psalms says, great peace have those that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. What offends you today, Christian? If anything offends you, I would say search your love for the word of God. The third thing I've seen about peace is we must live peaceably with all men. Romans twelve eighteen. if it be possible as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. God is the author of peace. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Jude is not only wishing them mercy, but also peace. Jude knew who the author of peace was and where our peace comes from, but also knew to obtain such peace, our mind must be stayed on upon God. 
To be truly happy, we better learn to live peacefully with each other. The third thing he wishes them is love. Without love, it is impossible to know God. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. I know that's a scripture song and we could sing it, but you don't want me leading music, so we'll refrain there. God proved his love, Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What greater love is that, that Jesus, who had the choice to go to the cross or not, he chose to go to the cross. Don't let anybody ever try to convince you that Roman soldiers put him on a cross. Yes, I understand physically they put him there, but Jesus' mind was already made up that he was going to the cross to show his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, he was willing to die for us. He was willing to give his life. And not only did that love first appear at Calvary, but it's an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Isn't it amazing how even when we mess up and we do what's not what's wrong, he still loves us? How many of you can say, there's been times that me and Brandy have joked around and I've said, I still love you, but I don't like you. I'm so glad that even when we mess up, God might be unhappy with us, but he still likes us. He still loves us. He forgives us. The third and final thing that Jude wishes them was love. He knew in order to have a relationship, we must have love. He also realized that the Lord had shown his love when he died on the cross. I'm so thankful that not only did he prove his love, and I can know him, but also his love is everlasting. Verse 3 says, Behold, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude wanted to write as a friend. He says, I wanted to write about the common salvation we have. He said, those that believe, we have that in common. We have salvation in common. I say to you today, if you're in this room and you're saved, we not, not have a lot in common, but we have salvation. We have the blood of Christ in common. And Jude said, I want to write about that. But he's seen things that were going down and what kind of, pers- what kind of people were starting to creep into the church. So now he knew he had to write a warning and a challenge to the people. I want to spend the rest of this chapter pointing out the things that Jude saw and warned about, not necessarily in our church, but as I read and think about churches in America, I see the same things going on around the church in churches. I'm so thankful we got a great church. 
we got people that love the Lord in our church. And as far as I know, there's nobody here that's trying to cause trouble. There's nobody here that's trying to cause strife. And I'm thankful for that. Because I know when you look in the church, other churches and other denominations, there's people that are just there to cause problems. And then he says, the first thing that caught my eye after he says, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. My question today is, what are you contending for? The word contending means fighting, competing. So my question to you today is, what are you fighting for? I was thinking about here in about a month, I don't know how many other college basketball fans there is, but in about a month, they'll start contending to see who gets to go play in March Madness. All season they'll struggle, all season they'll fight to position themselves to be one of the higher seeds. And they'll contend for that right. But Christian, what are you contending for today? What is it in your life that's worth fighting for? I'll just share a few of the things that I came up with. The gospel is worth contending for. I want to state something very basic here. The gospel is the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You can add nothing or take away nothing away from this. It was settled when Christ was resurrected and went back to heaven. And that's the gospel. We've got a lot of churches, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to put anybody down, but we've got a lot of churches that are trying to put works on top of this. We've got a lot of churches that are trying to put baptism on top of this. That's not the true gospel. The true gospel was the death, life, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And to me, that's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for to see people that are on the way to hell turn that around because they understand the gospel. A couple of weeks ago, Marcus started working at Woodstock. And there's a guy that I'm really close to. And Marcus knows who I'm talking about. He's carnal as can be. But I'm not going to stop trying to give that guy the gospel until either I die, he dies, or one of us quits. I'm going to give the gospel to that guy every chance I get. Because to me, the gospel and saved, souls being saved is worth contending for. What about this church? Is this church worth fighting for? If he is somewhat bad-mouthing pastor or talking bad about his sermon, well, I don't think this is the way it should be, and this is what he preached, and blah, 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 blah. Is that worth fighting for? Are you able to stand up to that person and say, well, no, actually, pastor's right, or take it to pastor, don't be bad-mouthing him? Amen. What about the missionaries we support in our church? Are those people that have given everything to go to the field, sacrifice their comfort, comforts they have here in America. Are you worth, is that worth contending for? Is that worth praying for for you? Is it worth giving to and contending to keep those missionaries on the field? What about our ministries? 
already mentioned junior church, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you right now, every one of those kids in that room, I will fight for to my death. I won't stand for a bad word to said about said about any of those kids. Yeah, some of them ride on vans. Some of them don't have what we have, and I'll fight for that. But I ask you, if you're involved in a ministry, is that ministry worth fighting for? Is that ministry worth seeing succeed? What about the Bible? What about the King James Bible? How many perversions are out there right now? I'm talking about the real version of the Bible. Is that worth contending for? It's old. Yeah, it's 1611. It means it's over 400 years old. But it's not outdated. Don't let people tell you, oh, the King James Bible is outdated. No, it's not. The doctrines remain the same today as they did when they were written. Sodomy is still wrong. Killing babies is not called abortion. It's called murder. And it's still a crime. And that's just a couple things. We could go into this whole gun control, vaccine mandates, blah, 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 that they're trying to take away from us. But the word, the Bible, if it's in the Bible, it's still true today. Let me get personal for a minute. I already talked about, I already talked about ministry, but what about your family? Is your family worth fighting for? Is your family worth defending? My wife isn't perfect, but most of that's because she's married to a husband that ain't perfect. However, I'd fight for that woman in every way possibly I can fight. If you have children, which we don't, but if you do, I pray it be on your heart that you would fight for that child, that you would do everything you possibly can to see that child succeed in God, to grow in the Lord. Verse 4 for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, do you why are we contending for those things that I just said we need to contend for? Because there's evil men around. There's evil people around that want to destroy this church, that want to destroy your family, so that they can look at you and they can say, Ha! I knew what you had wasn't true. See what happened to your family? See what happened to your church? I knew what you were contending for wasn't true. They're ungodly men. How do we be careful? Here's one thought. Don't be unequally yoked together. We have so many Christians nowadays that are saying, oh, it's just Christian rock. They're still talking about God. It's still clean. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? This really got me because 
I'm not the best at this, but because of my love for sports, but what happens when a commercial comes on? Oh, I'm just going to ignore the commercial. I'm not going to pay any attention to that commercial when we should be turning off the commercials. It's one thing I love about DVR, just beep, 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 right past the commercials into the whatever you're watching. But I would tell you, not only avoid the world's music, TV programs, movies, or the thing that I hear a lot of talk about right now, and some videos are good, but we need to be watch we need to be careful of what we're watching on YouTube videos. Some of them are very helpful to help us do stuff, but the commercials that they put up between the videos you're watching are those holy? Are those helping you grow in God? Verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance through, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved his peop the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. Jude says, I'm going to put you in remembrance of how God destroyed them that believed not. Right now we're going through the ten plagues in junior church. And some of you that have kids in there, you've heard how we got to the plague of hails, and I brought in marshmallows, and I let, and I had them all close their eyes, and they closed their eyes, and I took the marshmallows, and I said, imagine the hail falling, and I started throwing marshmallows at them, not, and trying to get them the vision in their head of how it was when the hail was falling. But what happened after those plagues were over, those people escaped from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. What happened when they got to the other side? Who's God? Who brought us out of here, out of Egypt? What are you talking about? Well, we'd rather be back in Egypt. We'd rather do this. We'd rather be there. Did you forget about the slavery you were in? But it's just like Christians today. We're so quick when something goes wrong in our life. Well, it never happened this way when I wasn't going to church. What do you mean you want me to tithe? I used to have that 10% to put towards what I wanted to put to. And give to missions? Are you crazy? I need that money. I need this. I need that. I need this. As we complain, we forget about the Lord that saved us from an everlasting hell. Just like Jude was talking about these people that escaped. Reflect back. Has there been a time that God did something in your life and you now have come to a point in your, that you're hard, bitter, or just not wanting to serve God any longer? Go back to the times when you remember God working in your life and God doing something amazing. God doing something in your life. But not only is it us as Christians, but then he goes into verse 7, or verse 6, excuse me, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, hath reserved in the everlasting chains, under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Angels that were in heaven, but then one angel got a little too proudful. 
And he thought he was bigger than God. And he thought he was better than God. The devil. That's what this verse says. It says that he had to take the angels from the first estate because they weren't worshiping God like they once did. If the angels could fall from heaven, think about this, angels that God created that are in heaven and they're falling into pride, they're falling into wickedness and they're being cast into hell. If angels could do it, what's keeping us as people from doing it? That's what Jude is saying. Be careful. Be careful. Angels were able to fall. What keep, what's keeping you from falling? The answer is obviously Jesus. Verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude here talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe he puts this here as a reminder that we serve a just God and that we will be held accountable for our sins. He destroyed a whole city because of one sin that people now say are that oh it's acceptable. You can bring it into church now. You can live that way. It's just an alternative lifestyle after God destroyed a whole city because of it. We must be careful because we will be held accountable for our actions. Verse 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak, speak evil of dignities. Here he starts to talk about the individuals not past memories, not things that have happened in the past, but he starts to talk about current news, current events, current people that were slipping into the churches, the people that we need to be aware of. How do you point these people out? Well, they're defilers of the flesh. They're despisers of dominion. And they're speakers of evil, of dignitaries. These people were happy to defile their own flesh. Talk about leaders they had outside the they had outside the church in a negative way. I wouldn't want to do it, but how many people and don't raise your hand, but think about it for a second. How many people are against what President Biden's doing? Now my question would be. Have we taken the time to pray, pray for him as our leader? He is our president, whether we like it or not. Then you talk about his vice president, Kamala Harris, who's probably even more wicked than he is. Have, but have we taken the time to pray for her? Yeah, we feel like the, or I feel like the elections were rigged, like the elections were stolen. But it is what it is. And are we praying for these leaders? What about pastor? Are you praying for pastor? Because these guys will sneak into the church. They'll start, like I said earlier, start bad-mouthing pastor. Are you praying for pastor that he'll stay strong in the pulpit? 
Are you praying that he doesn't become like one of these angels and falls away? Pastor needs our prayers. Verse 9, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. I'm not sure exactly what this verse is referring to, but I do the point of this, believe the point of this verse is stating that evil men will be accountable to the Lord. Verse 10, and we'll close. But these speak evil of those things which they knew not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt. Jude talks about those people who speak evil of things they know not. How many times do we hear others talking about the Bible in a negative way? Oh, I used to read that book, but nothing came of it. We need to be a witness to these people. We need to encourage these people. We need to help them because the Bible says they're brute beasts. They don't know what they're talking about. They need somebody to come along beside them, tell them, hey, this is what the Bible really says. I heard you say that the Bible said this. That's not what the Bible said. The guy I work with, he says to me all the time, Lions one, Christian zero. And I tell him, I don't even know what you're talking about because that's not in the Bible. But I do know who wins in the end, even if Lions do have one and Christians have zero. I know who wins at the end. And I try to preach the word to him as much as I can to the point where he asked me the other day, does the Bible really say this? You see, if we stand up for the Bible, you stand up for God. When, the peop- when people have questions, they're going to come to you and they're going to be, is this really true? But you guys got to be willing to contend against these evil things. So I guess in closing today, I would just say, are you contending against this wickedness that's happening? Because pretty soon they're going to try to sneak into our church. Or pretty soon they're going to try to shut our church down. Are you going to be willing to stand up and fight during that time? Are you willing to tell people their sin and call people's sins out? And I just want to encourage you today to contend for the faith, fight for the faith, and God will prosper. God will win in the end. These people will come to you. They will ask you. They will be inquiring minds want to know. But we got to contend. We have to fight the Christian fight. God's already given us the victory. Are we willing to fight that others can have this victory? Let's pray.